Hi, this is Helen Copnell um, for the Decisive Podcast. I uh, hope you enjoy uh, the mix, um, which is a compilation of some pieces of music that mean a lot to me. And um, I had in mind when I made this mix uh, the 50 art parties past and the 50 art parties future. Also features um, one of the tracks on my debut release for Atmospheric Existence Recordings. Um, yeah, thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is episode number 74 of the Decisive Podcast Series. It is May 20th, 2021, and we're going right back into a better day. And with this COVID issue lightening up just a little bit and we're looking forward to a better day, hopefully you have gotten your vaccine or just basically getting tested and being safe. And hopefully you are out free, enjoying yourself with your family, enjoying the outdoors. Don't forget we have to take care of Mother Nature along the way as we move forward in life. But in the meantime and in between time, please check us out on our Instagram, SoundCloud, Facebook, and of course, Podomatic. This mix in its entirety will be posted on Saturday so you can hear it without any interview at all. Anyhow, but I'm happy you're here with us today. Um, I have a very special guest. I've been trying to get this young lady on the show for a while. She's a mother, she's an artist, she's a DJ, she's a party maker. She just released on Miles Atmospheric's label, Atmospheric Existence, which is a wonderful techno record. It was uh, hailed and liked by Leah Floyers, Alex Downey, and many others, and myself included, Roberto Q. Ingram. With that said, I want to save some of the punchlines for her. She has a lot to tell us, and she does it better than I could ever. So let's get to it. The decisive interview with Helen Kopnell. Miss Helen Kopnell. Hi there, how are you doing? Welcome to the Decisive Podcast Series, episode number 74. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. We finally did it. <laughs> I know. That's amazing. We found the time. <laughs> it's wonderful that you're here with me today. Uh, how are you doing? But today, I've been, um, I've been recording the mix for you. So, yeah. Oh, boy. I'm excited to hear what you got to do, uh, what you got for us. Yeah. Uh, oh. it, was a, it was a pleasure pulling it together. It's always hard to um, whittle stuff down to one hour, but I had a lot of fun doing that. So, so next time we have to do four hours. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, it's crazy. Uh, I was thinking back to when you reminded me um, when we met each other. Wait, it was a while back. I'm so, it was, uh, huh? Uh, it was. I think it was probably maybe it was three years ago because you know the whole year of COVID has like knocked my you know temporal mm. like <laughs> perception right yeah, off. Right I off. Think, huh? Two or three years ago. Yeah, I'm sorry. It slipped my mind. I'm I'm getting I'm getting old. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> it's just hard to remember, isn't it? But I do. I remember the 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 meeting well, and we had we had some lovely food, and we and we. Oh, that's them. right. Oh, that's right. We were at Blitz Blitz yeah, Restaurant, yeah. wasn't yeah. we? Yeah. Ah, it was. It was, a, was it lunch? No, we had dinner. We had yeah, food. Because yeah. you you came in on you were in Munich for business. I was there for work. Yeah, I was there for work. Ah, I have a, that's right. And I I, I do remember inviting you to the studio. Yeah. We managed to get in. I came and saw, yeah, your lovely space, and then we went and ate some food. It's great. Uh, okay, cool. Ah, <laughs> oh, good. Okay, now, now I just wanted to refresh my memory a little bit. Uh, I wanted to start off by, I know we're, we love music and music enthusiasts, and um, when we as we get on with the uh, interview, people will know more about why. But um, how important is music to you and your husband? <laughs> it's, I mean, it's been just, I, it, it's a lifelong dedication. It's so hard to put it into, you know, the most eloquent words, but it, it's just of such profound importance to me personally. Um, so it's been a part of my, my life, my whole life, and will continue to be. It's just crucial. So, I mean, we're, we're parents, um, 
we have jobs, we've got, you know, responsibilities and commitments around um, bringing up our beautiful daughters. Um, but we, we have managed to uh, remain committed and put all of our energy outside of that into uh, into music. So it's just something, yeah. Is that, is that passion, hobby, love or addiction? Um, <laughs> it's love. It's, it's, it's therapy. It's it's just such, you know, it, it, it's all of those different. It's medicine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's the soul. Um, yeah. Mm, you live in London, right? I do. Yeah. yeah. We live Born in and raised? No, I'm from uh, I'm from the north of England, even though I've lost my accent quite a bit. I've been in London since uh, 1996. I moved down here with my, my dear friend, Alison Marks. Um, we met in Manchester. Uh, in 1993, so yeah, Alison is a very important part of my life, and we were 18 when we met in uh, in Manchester, um, and just embraced everything that Manchester had to offer in terms of music over that three-year period. And then we both moved down to London together in the mid 90s. So I've basically lived in London since then. So what's that? 25 years. <laughs> I've definitely lost my accent, but I've got a little bit of a lilt, so yeah, I'm from the north. I was born in Southport, which is just outside uh, Liverpool, and then spent a few years in Yorkshire, uh, out on the kind of, the moors, literally kind of in the same area where Wuthering Heights was set, so you can kind of maybe get a picture of that uh, in your uh, very full, very beautiful uh, ancient moorland. Um, yeah, Manchester and then London. And, and basically, it's all been about dedication to music. <laughs> I'm just with you the whole way through. So, yeah, when I came down to London and got my first job, all, all I wanted to do was just be able to get enough money together to be able to buy studio equipment, really. Um, so that was that was the mission. It hasn't stopped. <laughs> Tell me what the scene was like uh, years before and up until the situation of COVID till now in the UK was it it was booming yeah yeah I mean well I suppose rewind all the way back to when I first started um, being exposed to electronic music which obviously was in the 1980s but I was I was very young then. I was, I was a kid and then a teenager um, and then in about 1990 91 I started going to the local club which happened to be the sister club of um, the Orbit in Leeds which is obviously you know a legendary place but this sister club uh, they had every Friday there was you know, dance music being played it was kind of like all sorts of stuff really uh, but it was uh, it was early exposure to particularly sort of hardcore sounds I suppose at that time um, and then yeah really to be honest with you like the the floodgates opened when I moved to Manchester and uh, me and Alison lived next door to each other um, uh, in, in this halls of residence because we were students there basically but to be honest our main focus became not the study <laughs> and studying electronic music and uh, just we were just taken away by the scene there so we used to go to uh, the Hacienda that was incredible um, we used to go to Hard Times, which was just absolutely legendary. That they, they used to have that club um, in Huddersfield in uh, this beautiful old church. Then it moved to Leeds, um, bugged out, thank you, soaps. I mean, there were so many different nights. It, I mean, it's been so interesting just to right. kind of trying to remember everything right. for this conversation, actually, because I'm then just feeling complete gratitude for the amount of musical experiences that I've had over the years. So anyway, back in those early days in Manchester, um, it was, you know, a lot of the um, sort of New York, Chicago sounds were coming into uh, the north, to be honest with you. So, I mean, sort of memorable things, hearing Masters at Work and uh, Todd Terry. I mean, there were, there were so many. It's difficult to remember every single one. Derek Carter, Derek May, there was just a huge amount. Um, and then when, when I moved to London in, in uh, 96, I kind of opened up the floodgates in a different way. But... Um, it was a very special time in Manchester anyway, a very special time. I think anyone who was like lucky enough to be around in in that era, in, in you know, from the very early 90s, all the way through that decade, basically. Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, special, the energy, obviously, in, in the UK. I mean, it was the way we embraced electronic music in this country, and I can't really compare it with 
other countries. I wasn't particularly, you know, saying that to draw comparisons, but it, it was very special. Well, I don't, so, I don't, I don't see that as, yeah, I guess I couldn't see that as a comparison because I was also going through the experience as well, too, in the 90s. Some of the names you mentioned, like Juan Atkins, Derek May, uh, Jeff Mills, uh, Laurent Garnier. Um, you've been in and around the nightlife scene since the 90s, so you experienced really a lot of different influence like the end uh turn mill uh ultimate uh ultimate base leeds manchester north london okay <laughs> loads of amazing talent todd terry laurent gagnier uh little louis vega um apex twins and all the guys uh you know and many others many others it's many, so hard yeah. to remember everything um, um, i'm sure, I'm sure mm-hmm. maybe <laughs> yeah. this will refresh your memory um i'm sure there was many clubs and festivals that were also amazing for you. Um, but are there anything you can think of? Any inspiring moments? Any um, thing you can say? Oh, uh, shall I say any unforgettable nightlife experiences that you have had that just stood out? There could be one or two. Well, I mean, you know, obviously, like the first, the first time I went to Hacienda would, would have to be one of them. But then I'm going to fast forward a little bit. So uh, me and Alison actually went to um, Serbia together uh, in it was about 2001. And I want to comment on that because I want to mention that because this is the first time that we've been to that country. Um, so 2001, and it was the Exit Festival. Um, but the very, I believe it was the first one that we went to. It might have been the second one. So it was really, really early days. Um, and, um, you know, I think actually the connection had been made with the Balkans through a couple of very dear friends of ours, Holly and Johnny, um, who were actually going over there and DJing in like the late 90s. Anyway, long story short, Alison basically ended up playing at this festival. And um, that that was mind blown because just because of the, um, the people, to be honest with you, in Serbia, I mean, just uh, incredible. We've made lifelong friends over there. So um, that's one of them. I think I would also, call out let's see a couple of others robert hood at panorama bar um see that was when, that was uh, 2009 so that's coming forwards a little bit at times when you know very early on me and allison went to uh a free party called smoke screen uh and then further experiences of like parties outdoors for me that's kind of one of the most special ways of experiencing electronic music being somewhere deep in 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 nature uh there's just something so that's true that's true magical about experiencing electronic music in 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 nature uh so another dear friend of ours um liz edwards who was part of swag records and ran kerfuffle um and she sadly passed away a couple of years ago but she yeah a beautiful beautiful soul um she threw a party uh, in Devil's Dyke, actually, which is outside Brighton. That was just another one of these seminal moments. And anyway, these, these experiences of, you know, free parties outdoors with these sound systems somewhere deep in nature was just such a huge source of inspiration. So when me and Charlie met uh, and we did begin running parties, like a, we did some stuff in London, um, but uh, one of the most exciting kind of things that we pursued was doing free parties basically um and we started doing those uh, we called ourselves the blink sound system we did that this was some other dear friends of ours in in bournemouth and we found we did a few of these and we found some incredible um spots uh to actually throw these parties one in particular which is this place called Tynan village which is on the isle of purbeck um it's basically this no longer exists as a place that you can do parties sadly but um this this area was taken over by the Ministry of Defence after the Second World War, and they'd taken uh, this entire very large area of land in one of the most stunning spots, basically, <laughs> on the south coast. Um, and uh, the the villagers who lived in this village called Tynan Village had to leave during the war, and they were never allowed to go back. So it's Ministry of Defence owned land, um, and so as a consequence, you've got this abandoned village in the middle of nowhere. I mean, miles and miles and miles from any other living soul, with these beautiful old uh, buildings. And um, we we did a few parties down there. Um, they were incredible. They were absolutely beautiful. And then you know when when the sun came up morning we packed down everything you just walk down to 
to cliffs um, and be in, in that spot. So on Purbeck um, is that area. Um, very, very beautiful. Unfortunately, it's, it's a lot harder to do that type of thing oh, yeah. these days. Uh, and another one I would call out, when, when we came down to London, we started shopping at IQ Records. That, that shop run by, again, diff, old friends of ours, um, Murph, um, uh, Jane Travis, uh, and ADJ, Andy Jaggers. Anyway, the amount of music that I was exposed to um, in, in that shop in particular, um, just utter gratitude to those guys really for the music that they shared when we went in there and how my collection changed. Um, but I remember another event that they ran called Analogique, um, which was in Court Road. There are just so many of those moments where you, you, you just hear music in a way and hear music that you feel you've never heard before and it just opens, it just rips open your mind. And, and, before, and before you, before you touch bases with electronic music, what was, what other music were you into? The one album in particular that was just a kind of like the, the theme, theme track really, the theme album for my childhood, which was um, uh, Rise by Herb Alpert. Um, and uh, it was just it was just played on cassette over and over and over and like on every car journey. And when I was six, I asked my mum and dad for like a. I just was just desperate to have my own music player, and they very kindly got me this tiny little Roberts radio, and it had a little cassette player in it. And then they gave me the album. So then I just played that album over and over and over, and just to listen to it, just thinking just how incredibly beautiful it was, um, and sort of deep source of inspiration when you have like those sort of. You know those, those special albums from when you're very young that kind of open your mind. Um, Herb Albert, Herb Albert, but it was jazz. So you, were, you were... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was all that kind of stuff going on. I mean, there were, there were you know other other pieces of music. I'd say Wuthering Heights by Kate Bush was another piece of music mm-hmm. from when I was very very little girl. It was uh, mm-hmm. just yeah, just took me. Um, and then um, you know when I got older, a little bit older, uh, so like maybe like eleven or twelve or something. Then um, you know obviously. Radio, using cassette tapes okay. to record okay. things you heard, yeah. But then basically, the local library in the town that I grew up in had um, a um, a little like record library inside it. So there weren't that many albums in there, but you know, maybe like a few hundred. So you could go down there and like borrow these albums. I'd take them home and and record them. So that was one of the ways that I explored a lot of music, obviously, because it was pre-internet, right? Mm-hmm. So, That's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just lots of different types of music in, in like the 80s, everything from like jazz and jazz funk to like, you know, the Smiths, Cure, I mean. Oh the, boy, the Smiths the and the Cure. So many, so many different. Um, that hit yeah. Los Angeles, that that wave hit Los Angeles big time. I remember this. Uh-huh. From what I understand, at an early age, you also studied music, piano and classic guitar. And uh, in the very beginning, were there were you influenced by your parents or what was your motivation? I was just very fortunate that my my grandmother had bought a piano that was in our house. Uh, my mum and dad would thought it was very important that we had music lessons. Okay. So we were given them like from the age of seven, I had piano lessons and then I started learning the guitar from the age of 10. So, you know, just thanks to my mum and dad because they were, they thought it was so important that we, we had you know that that we had that uh-huh. <laughs> so that's why that happened but there are there are there are you know there is music in my family i've got a great uncle um it's called frank wilson he's actually not alive anymore I and mean, he died many years ago actually but he, he was a professional jazz trumpeter um and then um i'll just name another relative of mine um my great auntie jill who is an accordion player she's still alive she's in her 90s she's amazing and um <laughs> She's a, a, so musical, but she dances still now in her 90s. Every single week, she goes out ballroom dancing with her partner, and they're in Southport. So they go to a place called Blackpool, which has got um, the Blackpool Tower, which is very famous for that that type of activity. Uh-huh. She goes there every week. <laughs> Obviously, we're in COVID, right? So just ignore <laughs> that for a minute. Prior to that, I mean, just unbelievable. Uh-huh. So, so there's, there's oh, yeah, music in the family. My twin brothers are jazz percussionist he doesn't do that professionally he's sort of semi-professional and my my older brother is an amazing pianist as well so there we go yeah we had a lot of music in our family in are, that you, way. are you still yeah. active with uh, uh being a pianist and playing a guitar or? The, the piano skills that i acquired when i was younger um 
have obviously now applied to me using them in this electronic context. So, um, uh, and, and then with the guitar, so playing the keyboards basically, um, with the guitar, I, <clears throat> I just used to play it like endlessly. Um, okay. I, I played it so much. Um, and then, you know, moved to Manchester, had my guitar with me all the time, obviously. So I was just playing the guitar all the time outside of going clubbing. <laughs> Um, and like collecting vinyl um, and then when we moved to London and um, I started going down the you know electronic composition route so managed to get hold of you know finally be able to afford things like a computer and some mm-hmm. of it um, the guitar playing started to kind of just like go a little bit to the wayside what, um, we, what we're talking about electric guitar acoustic guitar no, classical, classical guitar classical. Yeah. So, so basically I just was so obsessed with making electronic music that I was still playing the guitar, but not the same kind of level um, in terms of the amount of time that I was committing to it. And then, um, you know, I had children and everything. Um, so Molly came along when I was 30. Um, so definitely the guitar playing then started to take even more of a kind of backseat. Now I tried to re- reintroduce it, but I think when, when Molly was little, she'd see me holding the guitar and she'd just want me to cuddle her. So the guitar had to be put down. I couldn't cuddle the guitar, I had to cuddle her. Okay. Thank you, but anyway. Um, I now am actually trying to get back into the guitar playing, um, so I have picked it up again in like the last year. Um, but I think the biggest challenge is just time, and you know, playing a musical instrument really requires daily practice. And so, bloody fingers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm getting there definitely. The daily bit of it, I'm not quite there yet, but mm-hmm. I will. There's just a lot that we juggle. So. Um, but yes. So who, who could you say? Who could you say influenced you a bit on the uh, classical guitar? Oh, I mean, oh, that, that is a good question. Okay, so because I'm, I'm blind with this one, I, I have no, no idea. Would well, you know what? It's really interesting. I was given like a, a, a another cassette tape by my mum uh, by a very famous guitarist called Julian Bream, um, and there was this like amazing. Um, well, the album was Concerto de Aranquez, which I probably have pronounced quite poorly, but mm-hmm. um, that's a beautiful, you know, piece of music. So I used to listen to that an awful lot. But anyway, what's interesting now is um, if you look up like classical guitarists, there's a huge amount of women who who are oh, in, yeah. that, in that in that in that scene. <laughs> um, now, off the top of my head, you've got me now because I'm going to have to try and um, give you a name of an amazing. There are so many amazing classical guitar players. Um, and I'm just going to try, and I can't remember the names off the top of my head. That's bad, isn't it? <laughs> just wait there. Uh, let me see if I can give you a recommendation. Oh, yeah. Anna Vidovich, she's incredible. Um, would, would, she, would she have been one of those musicians that you would have kind of... When I was young, because I didn't have it... Honestly, when I was younger, that, that was not... First of all, obviously, there's no internet, right? So... You, oh, that's true. Like, that's true. But you have to put records. Like, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I didn't have exposure to female classical guitarists particularly at that age. I mean, so com- uh, composition. There was, like, there, was the, there was the kind of like, you know, you get the grand narrative of like right. the kind of very, very, very famous, right? Uh, like, you know, uh, guitarists or composers and musicians and all the rest of it in you know classical music. Um, and <clears throat> I think it's much harder, especially when you're younger. Um, in, anyway, in that era, to get exposure to who else is out there doing that type of thing. Yes, Ida Presti, Leona Boyle, Charo. You're looking up a few now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, Charo. There are a lot uh, of women. I'm very interested now. Uh, yeah. I There's another lady. She's called Roxanne uh, El Fassi. She's incredible. There's a she plays Claire de Lune. Uh, you can find that really easily on YouTube. I mean, it's just stuff. Anyway, so it's a very beautiful instrument, um, and I do uh, find it fascinating that, like, certainly now it appears to be. You know, there are a lot of women, and there may have always been, but I think, you know, um, it, it has maybe historically been the case that women are more silent in, you know, I'm talking about over a very long period of time, of women. It's silent, right? And that should be the case. So it's changing. Good. <laughs> Let's talk about your um, production. Um, you just released a record, right? Well, I've actually done Ooh, um, it a first? release um, a few years ago, and I can't remember how many years ago now, with my my friend Alison uh, under the moniker of Lumina. But this is my debut release, just as me. So very exciting, uh, and huge gratitude to my dear friend Miles uh, Atmospheric, who supported this release. Just 
yeah, fruit bits. <laughs> Tell me how that was developed, uh, and uh, and what was your inspiration to for the songs on the release? Well, first of all, I'll just say, obviously, you know, I've got two two children. Okay, so 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 my uh, right time to right. produce has obviously been, you know, it's gone through peaks and troughs basically over, particularly the last. See, Molly is 15 now, so really 16 years. Um, the last years, it's gone through peaks and troughs. So, uh, and Ellen and Molly are kind of five years, five and a half years apart. So basically, the reason why I'm telling you this is the Cedars track. I actually wrote that um, before I had Eleanor. <laughs> yeah. So I wrote it a very long time ago. Oh, okay. Um, uh, and then I wrote the Lotus and the Sea of Fire. I wrote that. Um, see, it would have been like, yeah, roughly like a year and a half. I can't remember now. A year and a half ago, maybe a little bit longer ago than that. Because we've had COVID, obviously, again, it's like that sort of <laughs> the temporal, like, kind of perceptions have gone right out of the window. So there was a bit of a gap in between those. But, um, you know, I love that track so much, the Cedars track. Um, uh, but yes, from a very, very long time ago. And then, um, you know, oh, and it's still relevant and it still works to if it was a very you created a long time ago so you were forward thinking uh, composing things that stands the test of time yeah so basically Moles loved that track and and asked me to you know gave me this opportunity to release something so I then developed the other piece of music and um yeah, I mean, the inspiration for the other piece of music, it does really boil down to, it's like, you know... Your lifestyle, your experiences in life, or...? Basically, I have put a sample in there of a, of a lady, she's called Joan Halifax, which is so deeply inspiring to me that I feel other women need to hear these words. And so I, like, edited this, this together, um, and I really felt so strongly that I wanted to incorporate that into a piece of music, and I and I also have this um, this opportunity. The way the way that Miles kind of allowed me to have complete artistic freedom, so I didn't feel in any there was no question mark in my mind whatsoever that I had the freedom to, you know, create a piece of music that had you know these quite um, it's quite intense what she's saying. Um, so yeah, so that was the inspiration. I just wanted to get out something that you know had some something about um the sacred feminine really and that that's what that's what really i mean if you listen to the words anyway that i'm not going like, to read them out but <laughs> you know it's about um it's about compassion and women and how powerful they are um and it's important that that, that women hear that so yeah so there we go Yes, we seem to be at an age and a, well a repeating time where women um are really uh, in the forefront, uh, and they're teaming up as a unit again, and uh, uh, making a statement about the the power of women. And that's great that you um, in, are influencing maybe a younger group of women, and um, um, and just how powerful they can be um, um, in music. That's, that's good, even uh, even at this stage of the game i mean you know again just going back to that comment that i made before about um the silencing of women over a very 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 long period of time if you go back into ancient history the drum as an instrument was the woman's instrument the women were the drummers okay and that's something that i think most people are probably not even aware of because it's perceived i'm talking in very general sweeping stuff certainly is more so right in the 20th century i would say but these things are so so, so that's like just an example of like this ancient history that we 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 need to like you know be aware of um i believe anyway so anyway but the real point is that it's just a, you know more women that can get involved in making music the better quite frankly <laughs> would, would that change the value of music just something important for men or women i mean i'm not just talking about women i'm the only reason why i'm emphasizing women is because obviously you know there have been it seems a few far fewer women particularly involved in composing electronic music mm. but that is changing and that has changed actually quite sort of significantly would that just also mean that women need to just get involved and stay involved and um, and stay focused at doing what they do best or you know if you're doing a great job and you're spending a lot of work and a lot of time uh, uh, honing in your craft at some point you get what you deserve 
Uh, and I, I, I don't know. I just think that uh, there's some very powerful women out there that's that that's broken ground, uh, and have been in the same room with men and influenced them. One of them being Dolly Parton. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, the like, yeah, 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 for sure. And, and, uh, yeah, a uh, 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 many of them. So, um, and I think, um, uh, yeah, for me, it's it's great to see. It's great to um, to see women um, and gays, straight, black, white. I don't care. Um, I'm just a I'm just a true fan of music itself because maybe what you write, someone else is experiencing what you write, and they can they get something from that experience. And that for me doesn't mean female or male. It means the concept of what they. Are getting out of the music that maybe influenced them in their lives. Um, yeah, and yeah, and I, I, I couldn't agree more, really, because of, you know, really, ultimately, whoever wrote the music is kind of irrelevant, right? Once the music's written and it's out there, but I think yeah. it's important to emphasize the the. It's about encouraging women to get involved in right. electronic music because, right. because right. historically, and obviously, I've been around for quite a while, so. It has been a more male-dominated domain, and that's not because men are trying to exclude women at all, but women mm. are less confident about entering into that. That's really what the, mm. Mm. the fact. So they're getting more. So the, the fact that that is clearly changing and has been changing is amazing. So the women are getting more confidence to stand in a uh, stand for what they uh, stand for electronic music or yeah, <laughs> just just seems to be a sea change out there. Definitely, you know, it's just like a lot more. Then that's progress. My my theory is that the change over time has obviously gotten better, mm -hmm. and it it will get better, not worse. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, so we agree on the same thing. I, I like that. Let's talk about the studio. Yeah, <laughs> you guys, you and your husband, yeah, have the most amazing studio. <laughs> um, with some of uh, studio gear that is probably super expensive. <laughs> and uh, would you, uh, yeah, we work very again. I'll go back to, yeah. Again, I go back to what I said earlier. Would you say this is a family with an addiction? <laughs> oh, um, yes, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I, <laughs> you can get very um, just you do get hooked from definitely exploring like yeah, electronic music equipment before sure. So I think that's fair to say it's an addiction. <laughs> Tell me about the development of that hobby, or is it a profession, if you will? So I, um, why don't I give me, I think, just reminds me, you did ask me how this has evolved over time. So why don't I tell you that bit first and then I'll tell you about what we're doing now with the studio. So um, first of all, um, I mean, Charlie and I didn't uh, you know, come together until about 2001, but obviously individually, uh, we were both collecting um, uh, music kit and making music from like, you know, the mid nineties, basically, or like slightly earlier. Then, you know, basically the, from, from the moment that we, we came together, the, the, the kind of velocity and like the, the collecting of equipment, it kind of all merged together basically. So in like the mid to early 2000s, um, we had studios in, uh, we basically, yeah, we were in a position then where we rented rooms in uh, kind of Old Street, that area. And Charlie's basically a sound engineer, okay? So back then, um, he was doing the sound engineering kind of full time in, in, in the room that we rented and we were, we were trying to make a go of that and then basically we fell pregnant with Molly so we moved down to Bournemouth and we took the studio home um, and then kept the studio at home for a very, very long period of time. Um, mm. And then about three years ago, um, we had the opportunity to go to take the studio out of home again um, and take up a room in a, in a building in, in Hackney and we decided to do that because having the studio at home was becoming just very challenging to be able to separate um, the, the sort of family life and then getting into the zone and writing music. It's really, really, it was very challenging basically. Um, and we wanted to kind of go back to that original vision that we had around, you know, building a studio and trying to use it as a kind of place, first of all, for Charlie to you know, be able to utilize his incredible, like, genius skills of being a sound engineer and mix engineer. Um, but really also because this kind of environment is 
an incredible way to start to meet other musicians, uh, other producers, and you know, build a network and a sort of creative hub, basically, right? So community, I should say, not hub. Um, so we kind of just wanted to just try and reignite that vision. Um, so we, yeah, we took the room in Hackney, then that building kind of got basically, um, it, it, it disappeared. It wasn't available anymore because they were kind of redeveloping it, basically. And then we found this building here, which is actually really close to where we live in Acton. Um, and this, this building that we're in has got about 14 studios in it. Um, uh, uh, and uh, yeah, we've got one of the rooms here. So basically, um, we moved into this room just kind of slightly before the world changed and we went into lockdown. Um, mm. uh, and now we're kind of coming out of it, which is a good thing. But basically what's happened in this room is <clears throat> it's very much focused on, you know, music writing um, for me and Charlie. And then for basically, you know, 50 arc friends and family, let's put it like that, basically. So people coming down here and collaborating with us. I think some of the initial impetus around this just being this phenomenal room, it was dampened a little bit by us going into lockdown because obviously that then just became impossible and we literally just moved into the room. Um, but now we're coming out of that, we can, we can, you know, really just sort of open the door again. Um, and so, yeah, we've got, we've had Alison Marks down here already recently um, to, 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 uh, to do some music writing. Leah Floyds is coming um, in the summer, um, trying to get some stuff organised with um, Carrie, who's phenomenally talented and has played at Fifth wow. Park. So she'll be coming, um, just got to get the, the dates in the diary as we're just like emerging from this like um, pandemic situation. Um, also, Charlie has run, I mean, he does basically mixing and mastering in here. So, um, We've had, um, let's see, um, VC118, he's done mastering for him, um, for, for a Delson album. Um, Outlier has come down as here, here as well. But basically, the kind of crux of it is that <clears throat> this is our space and we, we want to open it up because it's of such, you know, it's obviously really very high standards that we have in here and, and a big collection mm. of stuff. Um, we have this opportunity to create an environment where people can come and, you know, just spend a weekend here and, and write some music with the kit that we've been able to uh, collect together and in a kind of space that is actually hard to recreate this kind of environment uh, in a home studio, obviously, for like understandable reasons, mm. because it's like a, an acoustically treated space. Um, so it's much more challenging to um, recreate something exactly like this. It's almost impossible. If you've got a home home studio, it depends on your home, obviously. Some people have got, depends where you live, doesn't it? If you're in a flat in London, for instance, that's going to be really challenging. So anyway, so that's the that's the intention. It's meant to be, you know, this uh, this this collaborative kind of um, studio, um, ultimately. So uh, um, that's, yeah. that's cool. That's quite generous. That's quite generous of you guys. Um, I, I have to say, what gear is your is your favorite gear? Um, you um, let's. Why don't we talk about machines? Right. Let's talk about machines. Um, let's see. Back in years and years ago, when I had my my own little studio back in the nineties, my favorite bit of kit was the JP eight thousand, the Roland JP eight thousand. I love that keyboard. Um, oh, I have it sitting right you? here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that keyboard, but I had to sell it. I can't even remember why or when I did that, but it was a long, long, long time ago. So to be honest with you, over the years, we've collected and then swapped or had to sell or, you know, all these different things. Um, so that's just how it goes, isn't it, basically? But that was all the way back then. I'd say my favourite bit of kit at the moment um, is the Udo Super 6, which is this just phenomenal, um, it's like a hybrid analogue digital um, synthesizer. It's absolutely stunning. Kind of reminds me, even though it doesn't sound like it. It's just a very hands-on um, keyboard, so um, which I love. So you do not have screens that you kind of get lost in, like layers of screen. Yeah, okay, like all programs obviously up because it's, it's yeah, but it's it's lovely. It's a really uh, it's a really lovely bit of kit made by some people in Bristol. Um, so that's lovely. Um, yeah. <laughs> I didn't hear any drum machines, so you like, so you want synthesizers is your, is your um, mainstay. Synthesizers, yeah, but we have actually recently also got hold of, um, it's called the S2400, which is a, a, a new, um, a, it's a drum machine and it's beautiful, uh, a sample based one. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I love like the sound design on synthesizers. So yeah, that's, I've, I've given you those two, those two picks. <laughs> 
Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good. And and uh, 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 your uh, when you rent this studio out, do they a lot of your musicians that work there? They do they gravitate to these machines you talked about? Um. Well, yeah. Obviously, it depends on like what we've got set up and laid out. Um. But I think a, okay. a lot of what I've just shared with you is around, you know, where we're going to be going to, as opposed to, you know, necessarily that having happened a lot already so we've we've kept it quite kind of closed and private to be honest with you um so in terms of what we've been coming down here yeah let's talk about the famous your baby your love uh 50 arc why is this so important to you the selection the community of or should i say family uh, of talent and like-minded individuals when did you start 50 arc and why what was the purpose of yeah. all of it so so basically, we started, the first 50 Art Party was in 2012. And prior to that, I think I mentioned earlier that me and Charlie had, um, we'd run quite a few different parties um, over the years prior to that, kind of before having children, stuff on the South Coast, stuff in London, uh, various different things that we'd done. Um, we'd, we'd basically moved back to London in about 2008. Um, and so everything we were doing on the South Coast with our friends down there, we obviously couldn't maintain that because we were back up in London and uh, with Molly was only two at that point. Um, so there was a bit of a kind of uh, hiatus from being able to do any kind of um, parties and we just loved doing that so much. So anyway, the, the trigger for 50 Arc, uh, the, the first major trigger was basically um, hearing Leah Floyer's first time on Timeline. Um, music so that was in 2012 and just absolutely blew me away <laughs> i mean yeah uh, she's a musical genius so i don't know you know her, her, her stuff very well um, <laughs> so that was very exciting um then we heard um relatively shortly after that we went to um a night where we we heard aubrey for the first time and aubrey's a producer who i i mean i love music dearly um and uh you know music. there's some of the pieces of music that i picked up back in the 90s of his just like it's just incredible who is this aubrey who's this like mystery person uh and then there he was like playing in london so it was a really small little party and we went and had a chat with him who's like played, played an amazing set um yeah and um stayed in touch with him and then we found a so basically we've always tried to find venues that are um, certainly like not the kind of mainstream clubbing experiences because um, it, it isn't we're trying to really create that feeling um, and that that type of experience that we've all been fortunate enough to have over the years particularly that kind of free party ethic that I've been talking about okay right so just that feeling of, of, of freedom for one um, uh, just being in unusual um, settings for parties as well um, and uh, also something that's very kind of critical, I think, is just building the party through friends of friends. So there's always that kind of family feeling. You know, people are only ever a couple of degrees of separation from each other when they come to our parties because it is all friends of friends. It's that kind of word of mouth thing it does make things very special. And because we've had a lot of experience with those types of things over the years, um, that was that was another kind of crucial bit. But basically, we found this. Um, venue called the Battersea Barge because um, our friend Andy Jaggers was running an event down there so we went along and was, yeah, this, this is the right kind of spot for us so we did our first party there with Aubrey and Leah Floyers in 2012 um, and yeah from there have run quite a few um, the last one that we did was in 20, ooh, 2018 sadly so um, definitely overdue to another one and we're actually just next door to where we are here in Acton, um, at a place called Bell Percussion, um, which sadly has closed its doors permanently um, because of the crisis, uh, the pandemic. Um, but this this building, um, very special one, um, because what they have here is a room uh, where they record orchestras. There's like a sprung floor. Um, so the Basically, it was just a very kind of, it had all the right ingredients um, and just nice uh, venue owners that let us run our events in there. Um, so everything, everything was just kind of perfect, really, to be honest with you. With a nice Olympic system. That means Aubrey and Leah Floyers were kind of your 
residents or who else did you did you have XTB no, as well? No, I mean, do you know what? If we could, if we were in a physician's room more frequently, we would have done. We would have booked so many more by now. I thought Jan Fitz was also. Did she? She didn't play. She hasn't played at our party yet. She, she's a, she's a good friend though. We've been lucky enough to play at one of her things. Actually, we played at a day moves party um, a couple of years ago. Actually, um, so we we've only been really in a position to put 50 arc on at most twice a year uh, because it takes okay. a huge amount of energy uh, for us to do it. Okay. Uh, we put a lot of love into what we do. Um, right. Do it with a crew of people, the crew of, our, of friends who help us to do this. Obviously, it's not just me and Charlie on our own clip, right? Okay. But um, because of the amount of, of effort that we put in, um, it's not possible to do it more frequently than that because um, you know, we've got everything else going on. Children being a big part of that. <laughs> um, yeah, so really when you count up, I suppose we've done about seven or eight parties in total. We need to find a new venue in London, which um, I'm sure we'll, we'll start to have a think about that in due course. But we are doing um, a 50 art takeover at a very special little festival um, called Come By in September. So we're very excited about that. Great. Um, we, we, we went there, um, Leah was booked there um, in 2019. And it, it just sort of just loved the way the, the philosophy of the actual festival organisers so much that we wanted to we wanted to get involved. Um, and yeah, we we're lucky enough that they wanted us to be involved. So that's what we're doing. So we're doing that in September. We've got uh, Leah Wonderful. and Alex Knight is going to play as well. Um, and uh, and then uh, come by bringing onto the system as well, truly madly, and, and a guy called Marlon. So that's very exciting. And it will be a much, much, much needed um, dance. Also in a very beautiful uh, place in, in Wales. So it's kind of like ticking, ticking all the needed boxes. <laughs> Being deep in nature and uh, an amazing sound system in the middle of nowhere. Hey, I'd love that. Absolutely. We'd love to join you guys sometime. Yeah, for That'd sure. Be great. That, that would be lovely. We'll play next to uh, Aubrey. Aubrey, I love this cat. And, and Leah, me and her have become pretty close um, through the music and through her her study of the stars Absolutely. and the moon. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and my uh, uh, astrological uh, sign, she's a. Uh, uh, you know, kind of help me with that a little bit. You are a hardworking woman. <laughs> I am a mother. <laughs> you manage, you manage a nine to five, a normal life, events, DJing. Well, okay, events before the COVID, um, DJing somehow and producing. Hmm. All this must be difficult. I mean, a, num a number of dealt with that number of tasks to complete. Mm -hmm. Tell us how you prioritize or oh, get things done without losing your mind in the process. <laughs> okay. Priority number one is obviously my children. Right. It's just absolutely unequivocal. Okay. So I'm a mother number one. Then obviously you can't get away from what job a job requires you to do. I mean, it's just like we were saying at the beginning, right? That, you know, just that. A love of music is just something just so sort of um, unshakable and deep, and it, again, really difficult to put into words. That um, you find you find the time to do it, and uh, you don't lose your your focus and commitment on on it in any way because it, it's uh, yeah, like deeply, deeply, deeply important. Well, that's good. Okay. With that said, I want to know more about what the ingredients were for today's. DJ mix. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a it's a kind of journey. Well, it's over one hour. It's a kind of journey through, yeah, some some old pieces of music um, that were very meaningful. Um, I've tried to like, yeah, just get this really nice flow together that that would kind of evoke a um, a feeling of being at a fifty arc as well. To be honest with you, um, so nice. uh, it will make you dance. <laughs> okay, good, yeah. great. So there's some there's some new and old things in there really. How how else can I put it? That that's it. And uh, I've kind of woven in. I've actually woven in like a, a, a piece of music that I've made in here recently. So that's um that's going to be interesting. That's towards the end as well. So uh, a new a new um, piece of work there. But yeah, there's just some some pieces that I absolutely love. The last track that I put on there, I'll just call that out. Um, which is just one of my favourite pieces of music. To be honest with you. Um, it's just so beautiful, which is ERP Lament Sabrosa. That's the, that's the final piece of music on there. Mm, mm. So, what do you hope my listeners uh, experience from this set? Oh, um, joy and dancing, hopefully. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, the, are you are you testing your skills in this one? Are you are you are you playing with vinyl? Is it a vinyl set? It's all or? vinyl, actually. Um, and nice. we recently we've recently um, invested in some CDJs because um, it's just so impossible to have like a. There's so much amazing music released digitally. To not have the facility to play digital music is a real like kind of drawback. So um, exactly. we've debated with which way and the way in which we would do that. Years ago, we had tracks to scratch. I found that frustrating, to be honest with you, but it's also completely fine as a tool. Um, but we, yeah, we bit the bullet and went down the CDJ route, but they're kind of um, getting used to them, definitely. So um, it's useful actually for being able to play stuff that we've done in the studio as well, in a mix. It's really handy for that. Okay, great. Looking forward, and I'm sure, I'm sure everyone will love it. And I really want to thank you again for taking the time out through your your uh, normal life and your studio life oh. and your husband's life and your kid's <laughs> life. <laughs> um, and I hope that uh, women around the world are getting something positive out of this. Thank you again, Helen Kopnell, so for being a part of the Decisive Podcast series. Finally. Thank you. <laughs> I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure having a chat. Thank you. And I look, I look, uh, look out for more uh, releases from you. Yeah. And uh, more 50 Arc events. Absolutely. Yeah. Good. Coming. That's it. Thank you so much and have a great day. Take care. Bye bye.